Many of us have used assessments to start important conversations. You may have heard about Enneagram, even if you haven't used it yourself. In this episode, how you might utilize its perspective to illuminate a critical area for all of us, self-awareness. This is Coaching for Leaders, Episode 605. Produced by Innovate Learning, Maximizing Human Potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. One of the mentions I have heard a whole bunch in recent years is a mention about an assessment called the Enneagram. It is an assessment that has a ton of history behind it, a ton of research, and also is so helpful to surface some of our stories. Today, a conversation that will help us to look at who we are and to take the next step in our own self-awareness and also how we can interact better with others. I'm so glad to welcome an expert on the Enneagram, Ian Morgan Cron. He is a best-selling author, speaker, trained psychotherapist, songwriter, and Episcopal priest, but he may be best known for popularizing the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a personality typing system identifying nine types of people and how they relate to one another in the world. His popular Enneagram book, The Road Back to You, gave fresh language and interest to this uncannily accurate tool. Ian enjoys sharing about the Enneagram with audiences of all sizes because of its power for igniting personal growth and how it can enrich our personal and professional lives. His newest book, The Story of You, helps people go a step further using Enneagram wisdom to uncover and rewrite our own false narratives so we can live life more fully. Ian, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, thank you very much, Dave. It's a wonderful, wonderful chance to be with you and speak about something really cool. I think it's really cool too. And unlike some of the folks in our audience, I have heard of Enneagram over the years, but I had never taken the assessment all of these years. And I first took it earlier this week. Thank you for passing along the assessment for me to to take. And I think maybe we start with just what is Enneagram and why would people care about it of, of all the other assessments out there? What's special and different about it? Well, the Enneagram is an ancient personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic personality styles in the world, one of which we gravitate toward and adopt in childhood as a way to cope, to feel safe, to protect ourselves, and to navigate the new world of relationships in in which we find ourselves. Importantly, there's an unconscious motivation that powerfully influences how each of those types habitually and predictably acts, thinks, and feels from moment to moment on a daily basis. Now, why is it, is it important? Well, let's just talk for a moment about leaders in particular. There was a study done at Cornell University a number of years ago in cooperation with Green Peak Partners. And the researchers were trying to figure out why 72 high-performing CEOs of companies ranging in value from $5 million to $50 billion were having so much success, right? These were high-trajectory leaders, right? And so they did this study. They did a deep dive into each of their lives. And, of course, the researchers expected the answer to be charisma, planning, vision, grit, whatever. And they were really surprised 
when they discovered it was something else altogether. And so here's just a line from the conclusion of the study. It says, the key predictor of success among leaders is self-awareness. Now, that's an amazing insight. And I think for most leaders, it's a sort of a shocking insight. Yeah. I mean, what you just said really strikes me as so true. I was a, I was with the Dale Carnegie organization for many years. And of course, Carnegie is all about teaching people skills, communication, leadership skills. And we used to do this exercise where we would ask people to think about in the room, who is someone you know personally that you would consider to be a successful person? And we didn't put any framework around what success means. However you define success, we would ask that person to think about that person and then to write down five qualities that that person had that they felt made them successful. And then we'd get them all up on the board and we'd go around the room and we'd we'd share like what we had each surfaced. And it was really fascinating, Ian, every time we would do the exercise, 80 to 90% of the things that people would write would not be the technical skill. It would be what you just said. It would be the human skills, the communication, the self-awareness. Those were things that would come up again and again and again. And that was like what we'd recognize in other people as what would make them successful. And yet, like when we think about it in ourselves, like we're so quick to grab on more knowledge, get another certification, and we don't spend as much time of really looking at the self-awareness piece of things. Yes, I think that one of the gifts of the Enneagram is, is that it illuminates the interior architecture of a person's right world. Yeah. And it reveals that there are nine different ways of seeing the world. So what it does is it it helps leaders to recognize that their teams are diverse, right? Let me give you an example. One of the things I'm always telling leaders is that one of the most egregious mistakes we can make in life is to presume that our way of seeing the world is normal. Because if we do, when we meet somebody who sees the world differently than we do, we will feel justified in judging them as being what? Abnormal, right? Yeah. So for leaders, when they learn the Enneagram, it's like such an eye-opening experience because they're like, oh, wait a minute, there are nine normal ways of seeing the world. And if I can learn those nine normal ways of seeing the world, I can help my teams not only uh, work better together, but I can also capitalize on the strengths of each of those different personality styles, those those people who have insights into the world that I don't. So again, it's it's not only understanding yourself as a leader, it's understanding those who you work alongside or you work for or who work for you. Because as I've worked with large Fortune 100 companies and others down to smaller organizations. The biggest problem leaders face oftentimes, especially as the higher they go up in an organization, is people problems. Now, you hear this all the time, right? It's like I'm dealing with personality management all the time. So people should be really educated. And I always tell people tongue in cheek, but I'm always like, you know, you should know about personalities because everybody's got one, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it or leave it. Everybody's got one. And personality is basically how people show up for life. Yeah. So we should understand how they show up for life. And if we do, we can eliminate a lot of misunderstandings and inefficiencies inside of organizations. And it starts with us, as you mentioned a moment ago, that self-awareness, right? Like so many things in leadership, but especially our own personality, our own awareness. Yes, absolutely. 
There's nine types in Enneagram, and obviously we're not going to go into the depth on each one of the nine that that would be justified of looking in the detail. But I'm wondering if you could perhaps give us a a high level, like how do those play out? What are the nine types? And like at a high level, what does that look like? Sure. So you're right. I could write an entire book on each of these nine types, but I'll just give you a two or three sentence description of each of them. And maybe people will just go, oh, that kind of sounds like me. Mm -hmm. In fact, they're going to say that to almost every number because we actually contain all nine numbers, right? It's just that one is dominant. One sounds more like us than any of the other eight, right? So here we go. Ones are called the improvers. They used to be called the perfectionists. These are people who are reliable, dependable, analytical, morally heroic people, right? These are people who want to be good, and they want to perfect themselves, others in the world, and avoid fault and blame. Okay? Twos are called the helpers. Twos really just want to be liked. We all want to be liked. Twos really want to be liked. They want to be appreciated. They want to win um, the approval of of other people. And the way they do that is by, by really meeting the needs and needing to meet the needs of others in order to win their approval, right? Threes are called the achievers. You probably have a lot of listeners who fall into this category, Mm. the performers, the achievers. Ambitious, goal-oriented, productivity-minded, efficiency experts, all of that. These are people who have a really deep need to succeed, to appear successful, and to avoid failure at all costs. Fours, you probably have the fewest number of fours in your audience, I'm guessing. Okay, I'm a four, so I can just tell you that I don't meet many fours working inside of companies, though lots of consultants probably, but not inside. Fours are a complicated group. They're disproportionately found in the creative arts. They are moody, temperamental, but incredibly imaginative and empathic people. They have a need to be special and unique in in order to compensate for what they perceive is a missing piece of their essential makeup that everybody else seems to have, but they don't, right? Hmm. Fives. Okay, we're into your territory now, This is mine, right? Yeah, fives. Fives are the most analytical, the most observant. In fact, sometimes you guys are called the investigators. You guys are sometimes called the observers because no one is, a, is, a, is as observant as you all are. You, you have also, you're also often misunderstood because you're known as the most emotionally detached number on the Enneagram. Mm. And sometimes that comes off as aloof. And to some people, would say, in some instances, fives, the individuals uh, or investigators are loners. Right, they they are really people who desperately need lots of time for privacy and recharge in in their own company. But your need is to is to aggregate as much knowledge and information as you possibly can about everything. You want to understand everything, but really, in a way, to fend off feelings of ineptitude and inadequacy. Right? Huh. Yeah. It, knowledge is power. Okay, sixes are called the loyalists. We think there are more sixes in the population than any other type. Sixes are called, as I said, the loyalists, sometimes the devil's advocate. These are people who have a deep, deep need for, a, for security. They have a, lots of issues around fear and anxiety. 
which makes them worst case scenario thinkers. They're always scanning the horizon, looking for what might go wrong. Like you, you definitely want a risk management person to be a, a six, right? Because hmm. they, they're the first one to see what could go wrong and then make sure that there are contingency plans for everything, right? Uh, a friend of mine who's a six likes to say that he suffers from pre-traumatic stress disorder, which I think ah. <laughs> really, really captures kind of the posture of a of a six, right? Sevens are called the enthusiasts. Think about Steve Jobs. I would put Steve Jobs in the category of an enthusiast. These are people who are actually, <laughs> this is complicated with Jobs, so I probably shouldn't have mentioned him, but <laughs> these are people who are incredibly fascinated by new ideas. They tend to be incredibly positive, sometimes toxically positive. Like they'll reframe negatives into positives, right? Which can actually cause some problems if you're not actually seeing the world through. If you, when you look through the world through rose tinted glasses, it can cause problems in leadership, obviously. Mm. But they have a need to sort of focus on an op, you know, sort of a future of unlimited possibilities as a way to fend off their anxiety of getting stuck in negative feelings and uh, emotions and psychological states like disappointment or grief or stuckness or boredom. These are states that sevens just don't really want to get into. Eights are called the challengers. you got a bunch of those in this audience. Uh, they are ag aggressive sometimes, notoriously blunt, hard-driving, excessive people who present with a pretty hard exterior sometimes. They're more autocrats than diplomats, to be honest. Think about what Jack Welch was like at GE, right? I mean, they used to call him Neutron Jack, right? I mean, just a hard ass. I mean, just that's who he was. And the unconscious motivation of the eight is the need to, to control and assert strength over others in the environment in order to mask vulnerability and weakness from themselves and others. Okay? Hmm. And finally, nines. Nines are the sweetheart honeys of the of the Enneagram. They're go with the flow. They're they're easygoing. Don't like to upset the apple cart. They're people who, though unfortunately, can be very conflict averse because they're frightened of being of experiencing relational disconnection. Mm. Now we tend not to think of nine as leaders, but I'd say four of our last most effective presidents were all nines because they're consensus builders. No one can make deals like nines. In fact. They're sometimes called the mediators. So that's a very quick rundown of those nine types. Sorry if it was a little long, but it's a fascinating look at what the human realm kind of looks like. Yeah. And one of the things in researching and reading through the book is like, it's interesting how these nines, like cross these nine types, cross culture and history. Mm -hmm. And like mm -hmm. so many of us do identify. And as you mentioned, I'm a five. And when I was reading through, all of the work and the research behind it, I thought, wow, that really does sound like me. And also some things there that I think one of the one of the great strengths of an assessment is that it can kickstart a conversation, either with yeah. yourself or with other people or with a team. And there's definitely some things looking in on the five that I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before. And I think that's a good lead into self-awareness because a big part of this is self-awareness, right? Of like being aware of the who we are. And actually, funny thing happened when you and I got on the line today. I said, oh, here's what the conversation should be about, right? And you were like, no, I don't think that would actually be as good for your audience. Let's change it up. And you made me feel anxious <laughs> because as a five, I'm the kind of person that like kind of likes to have things planned out, all the details like thought through in advance and all that. And you were very gracious, by the way, to say, hey, we could go with the original plan. But I've also recognized over the years, 
as in doing this and being a parent and being a professional is like, okay, there are times that I need to like step back and think about like, where do I need to adapt and sometimes do things differently than I planned. And I think that like, that's a really nice push for us to know like where our, and for me in this case, to know like where my tendencies are, because once I recognize that, then I can step out of it and say, okay, I could do something a little different in this situation or in this context. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you did go in a different direction. This is a rich conversation. And just so you know, once I knew you were a five, and I I did know that, okay, so I'm suggesting a different course. And I need to acknowledge that, okay, this is probably causing some anxiety. <laughs> and 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 uh, just uh, to reassure you, look, we're going to have a great time if we do this. But of course, if you want to go in a di- different direction, that's fine. Because I know why a five would feel this way, because planning programming and then you like to process afterwards but being on the fly can can cause anxiety for for five so want you to understand now how would that work in a corporate or leadership thing Mm, indeed if you knew a team member was a five and you suddenly had to call a meeting fives hate last minute meetings where the agenda is not clear yes we do okay so you've got a team member who's a five you have to have a last minute meeting And you just pull your five aside and go, okay, here's the deal. This is going to be a 30-minute meeting. I am not going to ask you to do any kind of a presentation, but if you would like to weigh in, I'd really appreciate it. Mm. Now the five feels seen, understood. They feel like, oh, okay, my boss has my back. My boss understands me as a person. This is going to be fine, right? Or... The, the leader might have to say to themselves or to the, to the five, look, I'm going to ask you some questions. Here they are. Please don't feel like uh, you're going to be judged on these. This is the beginning. So you see where I'm going, yeah, right? Yeah. And I would know, for example, that the way that I do a 360 on you at the end of the year, it better be a whole lot different than the way I'm going to deal with an eight, the challenger. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. What's different about like doing a 360 that would be different? <laughs> you just want to know. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> I'm a five. Okay. okay. Well, with a five... I mean, with a five, I would not come in with highly aggressive energy. I would be very Uh, calm. I would be data-driven. I would be like dispassionate, right? I just like, here's here's what it is. I would, by the way, incentivize you by giving you more autonomy. I just say, hey, Dave, if you want to work from home or at Starbucks, that's perfectly fine. That would make you so happy versus me saying to you, you have to work in an open floor plan where there's going to be a hundred other people around you stopping at your desk and asking questions all day. You're laughing here. I'm just wondering why. (laughs) I I was in an open floor plan for exactly one year at Dale Carnegie, and it was the worst professional year of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So you see this stuff. I mean, honestly, because I know that, do you see, like, I already know, we've only known each other for 20 minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I know things about you that in other for in a leadership situation might take me two or three years to figure out had I not known you were a five. Right. And I could have made tons of mistakes with you that were completely preventable. Mm. Because now I have insight into your inner world that helps me understand how to relate to you in a way that honors you that actually leverages all of your strengths. It helps me be your champion, right? And your advocate, you know, how to leverage the things that you do well and not ask you to do the things that you, I know you don't do probably very well. And also the self-awareness piece, if you're a five leader, 
Okay. And I know we're, sp- but you're a five, right? So that's why yeah. we're camping out here a little bit. Yeah, and I sure. hope it's that's instructive great. for other people. And as a five, I would say to you, as you grew to understand yourself, you would know things like this. I tend to play with my cards very tight to the chest. Because of that, I do not naturally share inf- all the information with anybody, right? Like I only, I share information on a need to know basis, right? Mm. Now, sometimes as a leader, that your team needs to know everything in order to be effective. And if you're just piecemealing it out little by little, they're going out of their minds, right? Like I needed to know everything, right? So as a five, I'd say, well, just keep in mind, that's your tendency and work against it. Like make sure you share everything the team needs to know in order to be successful. I would tell you, hey, at least a couple hours a day, your door needs to be open for people to come in and interrupt you and have conversations with you, even though that is really draining for you. Mm, yeah. So just little things like that go a long, long way, soft skill wise. Yeah, indeed. You mentioned Strengths Finder earlier when talking about some of the other assessments. And the thing that I've always loved about Strengths Finder is that it it gives you language on something that I think is sometimes hard for us to define and, and describe. And that's what really struck me also about Enneagram and the Type 5 is it's like I read it and I was like, oh, this is these are all things that are mostly unsurprising. Like this really sounds like me. It I totally like see all this. And where it was really like helpful as a next step for me is thinking like, here's the language I might use to describe this to someone else. And I was thinking about what you just said, and we've had a number of folks in our community who have either considered or actively doing putting together what might be called like a a manual for working with them, like a one page. If I'm leading your team, here's what you need to know about me, like the things that I do well, here's the things that are my blind spots. and the Enneagram really struck me as like, what a great place to pull language from to like the things that seem like seem so quote unquote normal (laughs) to each one of us, like doesn't everyone just see the world this way, but to actually go in language like, oh, here's some language I could use that would actually illuminate for others what it is that's going on for me that actually helps others to work with me better and challenge me at the right times and know where some of my blind spots may be like that. That's super helpful. Yes. I love that exercise, by the way. Ray Dalio, who is the billionaire hedge fund manager, runs Bridgewater. Yeah, uh, he wrote the Principles book. I don't know him. I know of him, though. Okay. So he, in Principles, he talks about how he uses different personality assessments when he's onboarding new people, right? In fact, they've developed their own assessment in-house, but he's used tons of different ones. I, I imagine he probably uses the Enneagram. But He says that the reason he has people take it isn't for figuring out how to slot them inside the house. It's because immediately that group of new hires have something to talk to each other about. Mm. So in other words, as you said earlier, it's a great conversation starter. Everybody loves to talk about themselves and hear others explain themselves to them, right? It's like, all of a sudden, if you take a couple of assessments and you're in a room with 30 other people, you have no shortage of stuff to talk about and to get to know each other with, right? So that's the other reason I love it. It's it's people, and this is part of the whole conversation around wanting to bring your whole person to work and that all that language, right? Everybody wants to be seen and understood and valued for the contribution they bring to the table. And oftentimes, 
the reason people leave jobs is because that's not happening, mm. right? They, they just feel like a cog. They just don't feel valued. They feel like their contribution is overlooked. They feel like their particular unique gift set isn't being honored. And so this is, a, this is the way the Enneagram can help teams and help leaders to show up better for life. Just give you a quick example. I worked with a very large corporation in Manhattan, and I worked with a particular division and probably 100, 150 people on a day-long workshop. And I went back six months later to do a uh, sort of a follow-up with their head of HR. And I walked in and I couldn't find her office because all the numbers on the suites just didn't make any sense in the hallway. I was like, can't find her. Well, she comes down the hallway and finds me and she said, oh, those aren't the suite numbers. Those are their Enneagram numbers. So after the workshop, all of them had put their Enneagram numbers on their doors so that their coworkers, when they walked in, would immediately know, number one, how is this going to go between me and so what do I have to keep in mind about, like, if I walked into a conversation with you, I would know that chances are your energy level is going to be a little lower than mine, right? It's going to be a little more pulled back, right? And you're not going to be very emotional, right? You're going to be very cerebral with me. Mm. Now, I know when I go into a two's office, I'm going to get a lot of emotion. I'm going to get a lot of energy coming back at me. I just, I know the patterns. And once I know the patterns and the gifts, gosh, things just move ahead so with, with so little friction. And that's, that's what I think great leadership wants to have as part of the vocabulary of their, of their teams. I heard personality once described with an analogy of thinking about rooms of a house that mm -hmm. we, almost all of us, have like a room in our home that we really love, we feel most comfortable in, that's the place we tend to default to, to do whatever, right? And yet, you can go to every other room of your house, and you do almost every day, because you you need to do different things, right? And the analogy was used that personality in a way is like that, that we have maybe our place where we feel most comfortable, but also that we are going to go other places. As you said earlier on, Like we have all of these types. There's elements of them in each one of us. Thinking about what you just said, the invitation to me is, one, the awareness of where our room is. Secondly, that there are other rooms. And then third, in what you just said, like I can make a conscious choice to go to a different room. And it may not be the one where I feel the most comfortable, right. but especially right. from a leadership standpoint, like if I'm willing to go a different place and show up differently for a two versus a five versus a nine, that that is going to help me to meet that person where they are. And if I can do that as a leader, like what a wonderful gift to give to people. Oh my gosh. And by the way, what I hear from teams and leaders, usually three quarters of the day through a workshop, right? They'll say, oh my gosh, I am now beginning to see why my wife is the way she is, or my husband is the way, or my partner, mm -hmm. or my children. And, and then a couple of days later, people will be like, you know, I got a lot out of this for work, but oh my gosh, it's completely changing the dynamic in my home. I have a, a friend of mine, a dear friend, a very, very well-known leader, and was, is an achiever, a three on the Enneagram. And he had a, a son who was a four. Now, that's the artist, right? The individualist, the very, not necessarily an artist, but very, very creative, right? Yeah. He came back to me and he, you know, his son was in his 20s now. And he said, you know, had I known that my son was a four, and he said, I spent my whole life trying to make him into a facsimile of me, mm -hmm. thinking that that was good parenting. 
rather than recognizing that he was born with an entirely different lens, a way of being and seeing the world. And had I known that, he said, I just, I would have treated him with so much more compassion and empathy, and I would have encouraged him in his own particular path instead of saying, you got to do this and you have to do that. And the kid just, he kind of beat the kid up because the kid wasn't wasn't seeing the world the way he did. And so one of the gifts of the Enneagram in, in your broader life is, is it brings compassion and empathy to the forefront, which of course is also needed in the workplace for crying out loud oh, in a yeah. huge way. Nobody likes working in a shark tank, right? I mean, we, we want there to be reasonable amounts of kindness right, and compassion in, the, in a cultural setting. I think though that it in these other areas of our lives, again, in parenting, in our friendships, in our maybe in our faith communities, wherever it is that we bring ourselves in important personal spaces, gosh, the benefit of understanding people and encouraging them and celebrating their the diversity that we live in the midst of is like incredible. It's an incredible gift. For the person listening to this who has heard what you've said, the examples, a bit of my story, and says, hey, okay, I'm I'm ready to like dive in on this a bit more and maybe sure. maybe even take the assessment, maybe just dive into like what's my story, the self-awareness piece. What would you recommend as a couple of good starting points? Yeah. Well, let me give you three. One is my book, The Road Back to You. The Road Back to You is a primer on the Enneagram. I wrote it because there are so many wonderful books about the Enneagram that are content-rich, but they're 500 pages and they're kind of dry. This book is, I think, entertaining and it's deep enough that you're really going to get enough out of it, but you're also going to enjoy reading it. That's been the feedback. The other thing is you can go to my website, iancron.com and take my IEQ9 Enneagram assessment. Or you could take my course, Discovering You, which is on the website as well. It's a nine-hour course that goes over all the different types of the system so that you really understand it. Great for teams to watch together. And it's what's cool about it is, is you could either just buy the module of your particular type once you know it, or you could get all nine types, really. It's all up to you. So whether you're starting as an individual or thinking about it of like, hey, let's as a team maybe explore this, that assessment, the website, a good starting point for both. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, great. Thank you for all this. By the way, the book, the, the first book you've written, I mean, I've heard so much about it over the recent years of, I, I think you're right in that one of the reasons that I never dived into Enneagram is like, I had come across it a, a few times here and there, and it always seems so overwhelming as far as the amount of data and research and, and books that have to go through. So thank you for making it so accessible for all mm. of us and really, because that's, I mean, that's where this becomes valuable, right? Like if it's accessible, then we're going to use it. It's going to help us to actually change our behavior. Speaking of change, I always like to ask people what they've changed their minds on. And a big part of the most recent book is a story, rewriting your story. And I'm curious, as you have been working with teams, working with leaders, helping them to do better through the Enneagram, what's something in the last couple of years that you've changed your mind on? Yeah, it's a great question. And actually, it does tie, you know, the Road Back to You is the book I wrote, the first book I wrote, The Priver on the Enneagram. And more recently, I've written a book called The Story of You, which is a different approach to the Enneagram. Probably a better book to read after The Road Back to You. I, I think as a therapist and as a consultant, one of the things that has been such a revelation and a change of my way of thinking is that 
people tend to think that they're stuck in a narrative that's inescapable, right? It's like, this is, these are the cards life has dealt me. And I have come to realize that all transformation is story transformation. And though we can't change the facts of our history, we can change the way we interpret those facts and the way that we cast ourselves in the story that we find ourselves in, right? So that has been a, as a therapist, that has been a real eye-opener in the last few years that, that I've spent you know, so often in life, though I don't have a practice anymore, I'm all in the business world. You know, I spent so many years in a medical model dealing with symptoms and pathologizing problems. And instead of going in and saying, okay, we're not going to focus on that. We're going to focus on the story you've been telling yourself and others about who you are, which for the most part, because if we have a negativity bias, isn't awesome, right? Mm-hmm. The story we find ourselves in or we tell ourselves that we're in is often has a, sort of a negative tinge to it, right? And just to teach people, if you change the story, you pretty much change everything. And so that, that has been something I've changed my mind on. And I think I'm glad, well, I'm glad I did because I've seen the fruits of the, the shift in my perspective. Ian Morgan Cron is the author of The Road to You and The Story of You. Ian, thank you so much for your work and helping us all to get better at leaning into self-awareness. Thanks, Dave. We've detailed out all of the nine Enneagram types in the episode notes. Thanks to Ian for passing those along to us. And of course, all of the resources from him, the books, the assessment links are all there as well. Thanks again, Ian, for all of your resources for us. Several related episodes I'd recommend on self-awareness. It's a topic that we continually come back to again and again on the show because of the important nature for all of us as human beings. And of course, as leaders as well, too. If we're doing a better job at understanding ourselves, we can do a better job of leading and serving and supporting others. One of the episodes I'd recommend is episode 353, Enhance Your Self-Awareness. Daniel Goleman was my guest on that episode, famous for his work on emotional intelligence. Of course, self-awareness, key to emotional intelligence. And if we improve our self-awareness, we can get better at showing up in an emotionally intelligent way inside of our organizations and, of course, in every aspect of our life. One of the great things about emotional intelligence is that unlike IQ, we can do something about it. We can move it. We can make it. Make it better. Episode 353 for more on that. Also recommended is episode 442, The Way to Be More Self-Aware. Tasha Yurik was my guest on that episode. I loved all of her practical perspective in that conversation on things that we can do in our thinking and our mindset to really raise our own self-awareness. Uh, it's a great compliment to this conversation today. And finally, I'd recommend episode 459, Discover Who You Are. Ortez Uljanti was my guest on that episode, and we talked about her book Aligned and some of the key strategies we can use not only for ourselves and also for others in order to find out who we are. And one of the points that she makes in that conversation is that peripheral approaches are often more enlightening than direct ones. Uh, The power of story and analogy and coming at something from a little bit of an indirect way can often be the opening that really gets us into a conversation that's so meaningful. As I mentioned in our conversation with Ian today, a good assessment, a good model 
is the starting point for a conversation so we can discover more. All of those episodes, of course, you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. There are uh, many reasons for doing that. One of them is you can search the library by topic. A couple of the topic areas you're going to find this episode listed under are personal leadership, because uh, we continually come back to that on the show, and also assessments. There's many other assessments and models we've talked about over the years that might be useful to you. Strengths Finders, the Myers Briggs, many other resources. You can find details on that inside of the episode library. And you'll also receive my weekly leadership guide. Each week I sit down and I document some of the key points from the episodes, uh, the key quotes, the resources, the recommended episodes, like I just mentioned a few moments ago. And also I've been finding and scanning and reading everything throughout the week of what's happening currently in the news, resources from uh, other experts, other podcasts, books that I then put together in one single message to you, the weekly guide. And that comes out each week with details on the episode, with resources you can track down, often a section from a book from a past guest. All of that is part of your free membership. You'll receive that weekly leadership guide in addition to all the other benefits of free membership. You can access that by just going over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. That'll automatically make sure that you begin receiving that each week. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Kristen Kepler to the show. She is going to be joining me to discuss the way into better conversations about wealth fascinating work that she's done in her career on looking at how families, organizations, people can have better conversations about money and wealth. Join me for that conversation with her. Have a great week, and I'll see you back on Monday.